Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. You guys, we have such a special guest today on the show. Asha Gabriel is the founder and CEO of Bridget, a confidence and communication platform for teen girls. As an extension of her platform, Asha co-hosts a podcast called Meet Bridget with her best friend, where they share the real teenage stories of successful women and break down confident communication through storytelling. I so wish something like that was around when I was younger. She graduated from USC Marshall's MBA program in 2019 as a luxury residential real estate advisor in Orange County. Prior to business school, Asha launched Aloe Yoga's community department as their global community manager. And before that, she attained her stockbroker's license and helped manage over $2.3 billion in investment assets for global wealth management firm Bernstein. Asha has also worked as a model for the last 14 years, completing runway, print, and television assignments for clients such as Chanel, Gucci, Versace, LVMH, Neiman Marcus, and so many more. Asha is also a thyroid cancer survivor and cancer awareness advocate. She currently lives in Newport Beach, California with her husband, Andrew, and their baby girl, Eden. Holy moly. Hi. What an honor it is to know and love you. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to be here. I have had the best time following you and your journey. And I just can't believe that, you know, so much time has passed since we first met at UCLA. So it's so wild. Yeah. So Asha and I met at UCLA and I remember the first time I met you, it was during recruitment for, it was during sorority recruitment. And I remember your outfit to a T you had this, like, yes, you had this, like blue, purple blouse on white shorts, Chanel jewelry. It was like (laughs) silver jewelry with like with like rhinestones in it. it and I just remember it. this, <laughs> I just remember this like beautiful, like vision of a woman, like talking to this beautiful vision of a woman. And I was like, wow, look at this beautiful woman. And you're so kind and you're so nice. And then after we graduated, I mean, we kept in touch during college, you know, we lived on the row on sorority road for a couple of years and, you know, would cross paths. And then right into our professional careers, you were in modeling and I worked for an event production company and we would produce all the fashion shows that you were in. So I got to see you all the time. Yeah, it was, I mean, uh, that was such a small world moment. I remember when I first ran into you, you know, at a fitting or something and I was like, oh my God, married. I know. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's just been an honor to um, have that connection throughout the years and to be here today so totally one thing that I I mean I learned so much after after reading your bio and and even so much after knowing you for so many years but one thing that I found so intriguing is that you have dabbled in so many different industries and I just am curious where that sense of of curiosity and freedom to kind of move about different industries came from because it's very it's really something that is a very attractive quality. Where does that come from for you? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like has two sides to it. You know, I think that that's part of my identity is just this like endless curiosity. Like I just have to keep exploring. I think that, you know, the mind is a muscle and if you're not constantly, you know, exposing it to new challenges and things like, 
you just, I, I feel dullness when it starts in me and it's like, okay, it's time to change or add something or challenge myself in a new way. That said, I think that looking back on all of these experiences, sometimes I do have an insecurity of like, oh my gosh, like, am I just all over the place? But, you know, at the same time, I don't think that for me, it could have happened any other way. I just have too many interests. When you were in one profession and then when you would shift to another profession, at what point did you do that? Was it just kind of the nature of, of life taking you in that direction? Or did you, do you have this internal voice, this knowing that kind of brings you into different things? There is definitely um, a really strong kind of intuitive thing that's been there from the very, from the very beginning, since I was really young. Um, I think it's, it, at the heart, it's, it's an entrepreneurial spirit, which is why I think um, in professions, like when I was working in investment management, that was a very much like a, a big global firm, desk job. Um, I learned so much there and met so many incredible people. Um, and I still use a lot of those skills today, but I think a thing that I realized there was that, you know, I need the flexibility to guide my own business endeavors. Like I needed that kind of flexibility. But the funny thing is, is that when I look at my bio, it, it looks like it's a lot of different jobs, different roles, different industries. But I think that the things that I st still have to this day have been, it's just the different manifestations of the same skill set in different roles. If, does that make any sense? Totally. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I believe that everything happens in God's time, in the right time. And we bring things that we don't necessarily know that we're bringing into our next chapters. Mm -hmm. So it totally makes sense that there's a commonality and a thread that goes through all the different industries that you've been in. Yeah. Um, I'd like to kind of walk through sure. each of the industries and kind of tell us like, what did you learn specifically from this? What did it teach you about yourself? And then how did you move that into the next field? Sure. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Yeah. Well, so through, I guess it, it's kind of helpful even to think of, um, we do this with our girls. So I work, you know, with teen girls, we're always helping them find those seeds of confidence, the things that they can really ground their identity in and be proud of. And what I have realized about myself is that, you know, the first thing I said when my parents asked me what I wanted to be was an actress. Um, and you could look at that and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not an actress today, but I think the reason I led towards that when I was a kid was that I have, I, I love the idea of connecting with a lot of people and like stepping into a variety of roles fully with my whole heart, but then, you know, changing it up. And that's kind of what I've done throughout life. And it's what I continue to get to do as I work with each one of our girls um, in each one of the ways that we do that. So that was the very beginning, the first thing I ever wanted to be. Um, but going through school, I think that um, I was definitely like that type A student. Um, my mom's a first generation immigrant from India. So school for me, um, all the way through high school was really just about like getting into the best college and being at the top of my class and having all the extracurricular. So it was all about getting into the college, right? And then I got to college and was like, okay, choose the major that's going to give you the best job. Um, and from my background and my upbringing was, you know, a good job was a doctor, a lawyer, or a quote unquote business person. 
Um, so I chose economics as my undergrad degree, um, which was fine. I think there's a side of me that really likes to unpack how things work. And economics is like a really interesting way of, of thinking about the world. You know, if you change this and this, how does it change these variables um, on a more macro level? So in school, I started working um, for the economics department in intellectual property research. So that, that was the first really um, analytical role that I had uh, working for that department. But there was a point about halfway through my time at UCLA that I felt like, all right, there's a, this creative side of me that just is feeling stifled, you know, like I have to find a way to express that too, alongside this analytical side. So that's when I added um, my English literature minor. And it was right around the same time that I got scouted to model. And when I first told my parents I was going to model that I, you know, I, I found this agent, she really wanted to work with me. She said I could, you know, stay in school and everything. She'd support that. My parents were like, oh my God, do not, you're in school <laughs> or you, you have an academic scholarship. I think we had the same scholarship too, right? I think we might have. Yeah. yeah. So my parents are like, oh my gosh, you're going to do Coke and die. Neither <laughs> <laughs> of those things. Um, but I did start modeling alongside school. And I think that's where I kind of hit my stride. I was like, okay, this works for me right now. I'm, I have this really strongly analytical side working for the econ economics department, but then I'm also, you know, meeting these crazy creatives and traveling and modeling is very like performative. And I loved that kind of balance alongside, you know, the English stuff. So um, from there, after I graduated, I had this, I mean, kind of existential moment graduating school because everything leading up to that moment was about getting into the best college and doing the best you could in college. And then I like when I realized college was over, I remember like walking around campus and being like, like I, I might have even cried, like <laughs> looking at the lecture halls and being like, oh my gosh, okay, this was such a structured environment for me to learn. And it, I had my little balance figured out by that point, but I was like, what's, what's next? Like, I, I didn't think past this point. I never saw college as a way to, you know, get to a profession I was really interested in. It was just that, that was my end game. And suddenly the end game was over. So um, I decided at that point that I had never really been a full-time model and my agents had been asking, you know, periodically while I was in school, if I wanted to like take time off and move to Paris or go to another market to work. And um, I had never even entertained that because of school. So, um, so yeah, so I decided to start modeling full-time and just give it a chance, see how I liked it. So I did that for a couple years. And I think what I realized then, although I was really busy, I met so many incredible models, designers, CMOs, CEOs. I was traveling all over the country for different um, amazing companies. Uh, I realized after a little while that I was missing that analytical side. I'm like, I think I, I just really need that balance of the creative, but also the analytical kind of business side. So um, that was when I started thinking about like getting a quote unquote real job. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm like totally just 
No, this is amazing. No, tell me everything. No, I'm like soaking it up. Yes, yes, yes. More. Okay. Um, yeah. So around then I, so I was still traveling and stuff. I was like, okay, what can I study for? Because for me, studying is kind of comfort. You know, it's, it's a very structured way. I can learn this thing. There's chapters, there's a class, you know, an A to B sort of solution. So I started studying for my real estate exam because I was traveling all over different states and seeing different cities. And I was like, I'm just so interested in the way our cities are set up. So I thought I would go into um, commercial real estate finance because real estate, and that sounded kind of like, you know, a very serious job. Um, (laughs) So that's what I went for. So I got my real estate license. uh, And then I started interviewing with some commercial real estate firms. And then through a contact, I actually received an offer for um, an associate role at a just pure investment management firm. So I decided to take that role. And so my real estate license was just kind of there. I never docked it or anything, but um, I think as I've been given opportunities, I, I just always feel like real opportunities are given to you for a reason. You know, you can say yes, or you can say no, but in my experience, unless there's like a glaring, like gut feeling that you should say no, usually like saying yes is going to teach you something. So, so I started working in investment management and it was a shock. Like I went from having this very flexible job where, um, you know, I could take off when I wanted. I could ramp up when I wanted. I ran my, my agents. I had an accountant. I like, I had my whole team that kind of all revolved around me to then being in this office role, you know, where you're in a suit every day, you're in there for, um, you know, certain fixed hours. And, um, it, (laughs) it was difficult for me. We have a very special episode today with Asha Gabriel. Asha, you were saying that at your old job, you used to have more freedom with the schedule. Um, and then you shifted from that environment to a much more structured environment. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So, so while I was modeling, I was like my own boss, you know, I had my whole team, my accountant, my agents, my manager, my clients, like it was me running the show and then going into this. And I knew it was going to be this way. Um, but I was just like, all right, I've, you know, why can't I do this? Like I, I went to UCLA, I'm adaptable. Like I, I'm going to give myself this challenge. So I remember starting this job in investment management and especially, I, I mean, I think this happens with a lot of people when you start a first, like a new job anywhere is like those first couple weeks, like you get home and you're just on your couch, just beat, you know, from trying to take in all the new information. Um, but I just definitely remember feeling that way and like wearing the suit and heels every day. And And then I got my series seven license, which if you have never heard of that, it's like the stock brokers license. And it's this really intense exam. Um, So the whole firm knows when you're taking it and like, you can't stay with the firm if you don't pass this test. So it's a really high pressure situation. Um, So I took that test and um, I think I was having fun in that job in that I was like learning so many new things. And I think that um, as a woman, I had always had some level of hesitancy when it comes to understanding finance, investment, tax strategies, all of these things kind of intimidated me. I feel like, um, 
some people have a very like natural mind for that. And I, I always just was afraid of making the wrong choices in that vein. So I learned so much about, about finance period. Um, but I think when I started realizing that it wasn't quite right for me, um, was just in my body, I was <laughs> kind of, um, struggling. I think at that time I was probably sleeping like four hours a night, um, right around the time that I was studying for that test, my appendix almost burst. I had to go get my appendix out. I got shingles later. And I was just like, listen, like this job is great for some people, but I need to listen to my body and myself and realize that there, there's a reason why I was here. There's a lot that I've learned. Um, but maybe it's not the end game for me. Like, I, I, I think that what I always tell our girls at Bridget is, when you're in a new role, a good way to kind of see whether it's a long-term or a short-term role for you is to look at the people at the very top of the organization and imagine yourself in their role. And if that is something that you, you can see yourself, you know, years down the line in that role, then like stick with it, you know, and if it's not, it's still okay for you to be there. Um, but you can really focus on what you're, you're taking from that role in a larger um, strategy. So, so yeah, it was actually when I was at Bernstein that I um, started Bridget, which was fun and scrappy and I didn't have a lot of time to do it, but I was managing money for the ultra wealthy and I just felt like I needed a place where I could be of more service to people who really needed it. So um, I was teaching SAT classes as a volunteer thing um, in the inner city at, on the USC campus, actually. And in doing so, I was meeting these um, teen girls. And I remember talking to them about the SATs and college. And what we were running up against was not so much they didn't have the resources to go to college. It was that they didn't necessarily like have the visibility to be there or, or reason for like what it will do for them. So a lot of these girls were like, you know, I have the grades, I have a grant, but I don't know if I'm really going to go to college because I have a cousin that went and didn't really fit in and moved home, you know? So I started thinking like, okay, outside of school and outside of these fabulous, you know, after school programs that are there, like the one I was teaching at, how could I further support kind of like that 360 teen girl, you know, all the other things that go into the choices that they make at that, that really critical stage. So, so I started Bridget as a nonprofit because I knew how nonprofits were structured. We managed money for a lot of um, different nonprofits at Bernstein. So I literally, um, you know, looked at how our nonprofits were set up that we were managing money for. And I was like, okay, like I, I can figure this out. I can make some bylaws. I can make articles of incorporation and, and start a little entity. So started Bridget and just started programming with different groups around um, LA and with the, with the intention of, of creating programming that was different, like filling the gap, you know, like let's talk about um, body image. Let's talk about relationships with friends, with boys, with our parents. Let's talk about how we see ourselves and, um, you know, all that sticky stuff that happens when you're a teen. So we, we started doing all this different like some small groups, some bigger groups, like one big program we did was like 300 girls. And um, I, the, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I think that 
uh, it all came together. But what I love to tell girls who have um, entrepreneurial like desires is that in the beginning, you're going to feel really like you, you don't, nothing's perfect. You know, <laughs> like totally. you can't wait till things are perfect to start, which I'm sure Maren, you can relate to. Right. Oh, when every day, business, every day. <laughs> I mean, I still there, even though we've been doing this for a long time, there's, there's still, you have to take leaps and just keep moving. Um, so yeah, so I had started Bridget. I started applying to some business schools, um, at that time. Cause I was just trying to figure out like, what's my next move. Um, so applied to business schools and then, um, and then I think I just hit my breaking point at that investment job, uh, left that job without another job lined up. My family's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, like you can't leave a job without another job lined up. And I was like, I, I can't think straight with this level of stress and no time to actually even like ask myself what I want to do. So I left that job. And then a couple weeks later, I actually got a call from, um, Aloe Yoga, who I had modeled with, um, for, I mean, a while. I was one of like their first yoga models, uh, actually one of their first models that did yoga. They're like, oh, we have these yogis we work with and we have models we work with, but we'd like to have some models that like do yoga. Can you do that? So, um, I got a call because I knew all the people at that company and all the yogis they worked with. And they're like, we need someone to come on and kind of be our very first community manager, um, to really like organize these endorsement deals we're putting together and create communities. So I was so excited because I was like, okay, this sounds way more like me. It's still like a salary job. Um, but I remember going in there and it was, it was so kismet too. Like I, I left this other job kind of with a Hail Mary, you know, I was like, I'm going to figure it out. And then to get this call, like a couple weeks later, I really felt like that was something, um, I manifested in a way, you know, I had put this poster of one of my aloe campaigns just a couple weeks before I quit that first job. I, I put a poster of one of my aloe campaigns on my wall. And I think it was just, um, it was like me visualizing a healthier, happier kind of lifestyle than the one I was living. Um, so yeah, so then I started working at aloe and it was so great and so entrepreneurial within the context of another company um, at the time and you know maybe it's still that way but I was uh, inside Allo it was very much the feel of a startup still um, we had the flexibility to really try new things um, and it was a lot more creative it was marketing which was fun for me so that was a job that really felt like it was fusing um, the creative side and the analytical side um, so I was having so much fun at Allo for a while and then um, got accepted to a couple business schools. And my acceptance letter from USC came with a very substantial um, scholarship to business school. And I just remember getting this letter and like sitting on my bedroom floor and I was like, crap, you know, this is such a first world <laughs> problem, but I have this opportunity to go to business school, which I love school. And I've always wanted to have a graduate degree and I miss that setting, you know, or stay in this job that I really love. But like, you know, is that my forever job? It could be, but I don't know. Like, I think I'm still young enough to see more before I, I like really niche myself into a specific um, industry, which I felt like I was doing at the time. 
So I had to leave Aloe, which was so sad, but I loved, you know, my connections there and everything. I was really scared to just be leaving a really good opportunity. But the moment I got into business school and looked around and realized like, look how many different types of people there are. And I was reminded of all these different industries and, um, the reason I, you know, got my scholarship was around my work with Bridget. So for me, I was like, this is my moment to really invest in my, my work in and around Bridget and making it more of a sustainable business. Because as a quote unquote nonprofit, I, you know, to be a nonprofit means that you're in the business of fundraising and then doing good with the funds that you're raising. And I just didn't want to spend the majority of my time fundraising. I, I, I felt that there's value here and I'd rather create a, a company, not necessarily a nonprofit, but, but a profit generating company that can sustain itself so I can focus on the actual business and not just asking for money. So, so yeah, so I, I went to, to business school at that point. Am I just still rambling? <laughs> no, I have, I'm taking so many notes and writing down so many questions. I'm, you're in flow. So I'm just like soaking it in. Sometimes I feel like so I'm just good. going, otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, so business school was incredible. Um, I really focused on entrepreneurship. Uh, at that time, I also, um, in, in business school, one of the cool things um, that you can do at a lot of the schools is take, they allow you to take classes in other schools as well. So that curious side of me was like, oh yes, like I want to take a PR class because I, from my professional experience, I know how important PR is to any, um, you know, especially entrepreneurial uh, business. Uh, And then I took a class in contracts at the law school. And I was like, I just want to see how the law school students like work. And it was totally different. Like the law school is so different from the business school. Um, And we did a bunch of pitch competitions, which um, a pitch competition, they're usually run around business schools, but there's also a lot of big uh, organizations that run them throughout the country. Um, But if you're starting a business, you can go in with your pitch deck, kind of like you would go into pitch venture capitalists um, and you pitch your business and how you plan to sustain it, build it, your team, your marketing plan, the reason for your business, your, you know, cash flow and everything. And um, that was so much fun because that kind of performer side of me um, loved it. You know, the exhilaration of getting up on stage and being like, listen, like this, this is a necessary service. So all throughout that time in business school, I was, uh, still running programming with Bridget. Um, we, my, so my best friend, Kishia, she, she was really there from the first events that we did as a nonprofit. And she continued to be by my side through all of this. She came in and did a bunch of like the pitch competitions with us. Um, and I think that our friendship, it's, our friendship has been so special because it's been also this partnership, you know, creating Bridget and this thing that we were so passionate about, um, and helping teen girls along the way. It just has bound us together in this like crazy sisterhood. So, so yeah, so that was, was business school. We really learned a lot about creating, um, Bridget as a business. And then um, when I graduated, so I, my husband actually is like a big part of this story because he is um, incredible. He, I met him while I was working at Bernstein. So I was in that really stressful like situation. He's from Orange County. So he would come up um, 
to LA where I was living and working uh, it, through rush hour traffic to like take me to dinner and then like go back down, just like would come and see me whenever I told him I had time, which was really limited. Um, but throughout all these transitions, he continuously was just like, you've got to do what you feel in your heart, you know, that you're young, go after what you want to do. Um, so he was there through all these transitions. Um, but in business school, uh, after my first year in business school, he proposed to me and it was so wonderful. And I think around that time when we were engaged, I realized I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to like move out of LA because I'm doing this crazy triangle between West Hollywood, downtown LA, and then Newport beach. And it was just a lot of driving. So moved down here the month after we got engaged, this is a year into business school. The month after we got engaged was when I got my thyroid cancer diagnosis. So that was a shocker. Um, but also when I look back, all of these things, all of these different transitions, I see them as gifts, you know, and like gifts don't always come. You don't always get to like pick the gifts you're given, you know? Um, and I think some of the best ones come as these like crazy confusing surprises. So, um, you know, going through cancer with him by my side gave me the gift of seeing how loyal and helpful and loving and supportive he could be through one of the hardest things that a person can go through um, in a cancer diagnosis. So um, had my thyroid removed and kept up in school. I had to go through um, this uh, radiation treatment where you basically have to be in quarantine for 12 days um, and have to keep like a 12 foot distance from everybody. It was this crazy thing, but um, kept in school, had a distance and, um, eventually graduated. I'm in remission now. Um, so, so yeah, since I've been out of school, um, it, I've been continuing doing Bridget. We did a lot of events until COVID hit. And that's when we realized that, um, again, COVID awful, but I think the the shift and having to realize that, okay, we can't do everything in person anymore is actually a gift because we, for years have been, people have asked us, okay, can you do programming in other States? Can you do programming? We literally are reached out to by someone in Africa. They're like, can you come here and, and do some workshops? And we're like, I wish that would be amazing, but yeah, right. You know, we're funding everything pretty much out of pocket. So um, <laughs> we, that was, a challenge. And when we would do these, these events that like Marin was on one of like our first panels, um, we, every time we do a panel event and feature these women and their incredible stories, um, we'd get all these different women reaching out to us being like, Oh my gosh, that was amazing. If you need another panelist, let me know. And we realized like, there are so many women that want to share their story and how they got to where they got. Um, we wish we could just keep funding these events and, and sharing more stories. So the, the podcast we started, then um, so that we could share more, more stories. And it's been so much fun. And then alongside that, while I was uh, pregnant more recently during, I was pregnant during quarantine, um, I started working, I like dusted off my old real estate license and have been working in luxury residential real estate down here in Orange County. And it's been another brand new situation and I'm learning so much and meeting a lot of people. So, so that's the long, long story winding road of kind of where I'm at today. That is so 
inspiring and you are just such a force and it is to know you is to love you. And I'm just so honored that you're on the show and you get to share your story, but also just being able to watch each other's lives unfold from a distance. It's, it is so special and how, how transparent and open you are with your story is such a blessing because I can imagine that there are many people who have gone through seasons of what you've gone through, but kind of keep it close to heart. And I so respect you being so free with sharing that because I know that it helps so many people. Yeah, I think that that's just, I mean, sometimes I look at myself and I'm like, am I an oversharer? But at the end of the day, you know, I think that, you know, what have you got to lose in being open and sharing and asking for what you want, asking for help or um, being available? I think the worst case scenario is that, you know, <laughs> not a lot. Like sometimes maybe you get fooled here or there, you land in your face, but like, I, I think it's, it's so much better than being shut down and always wondering about things or wondering if you could have connected with other people or, or if your experience, your hard things could have actually helped other people. Totally. When you were sharing your story, one kind of common thread that I noticed that wasn't overtly said, but that I did notice and that was a strand of consistency throughout your story is this concept of clarity. Mm-hmm. And you seeking clarity in each of the different scenarios, whether they were, you know, wins or lessons or choices or things that happened to you, there's just this element of clarity. Um, where did you learn that skill? And also, what is your process of gaining clarity? Yeah, I think, I mean, ever since I was a little girl, I always, I was really shy when I was younger. Just, I've always been like a a thinker, you know, and I, I remember like my sister was a really good basketball player and she played in like, um, AAU basketball, which is like, you know, summer league basketball and our whole family would go to her basketball games and I would like bring my books and I would be like reading in the stands and I'd just be immersed in this world. Like I've always loved stories, you know, and my imagination just like gets so involved in these stories. Um, and it kind of takes me to another place. So I think that that level of like introspection and wanting to seek meaning in things has just been there from the beginning. Like I've always loved symbolism and, um, just things that mean something. Like, I feel like everything has to mean something. Um, So I think that that um, impulse to kind of, when something happens to me to like take time away, you know, go inward for a minute and then come back with what I've decided it means to me has just always been there. I don't know where it came from, but that's just the way I've been since I was a little girl. There's this element of like playfulness Yes. That, that I kind of hear, you know, with that, it's, it's like grown up make pretend like, Ooh, if I did this, how would I feel? Or if I did yeah. this, what would, what would be the outcome? Or like, how would we get to this next, um, this next milestone in, in your life? It seems like a very responsible, but also playful version of adult make pretend. Yeah. I mean, I think that that, uh, attitude. I mean, I look at my, my grandma, my maternal grandma has always been 
one of my ultimate heroes. Like her, her name is, I have her name tattooed in Sanskrit on my side. Um, she just always inspired me because she lived a very, very long life into her late nineties. Um, but she survived breast cancer twice. She survived pancreatic cancer. She was an immigrant, like endured all of these things, but to the very end, like she was cracking jokes and had this like sparkle in her eye and this sense of humor. And I feel like that is what gets people through, you know? And for, for me, I, when I looked at her and all that she had endured, I really believed that it was that, that little sparkle, that youthfulness that, um, made her a survivor. So I think that I've always wanted to emulate that. And I see it in my mom too. And, and it sounds silly and maybe it's that like meaning seeking side of me. But when I look at my little girl, I like, there's something in her eye. I feel like she has that, like ugh, that little, that little playfulness to her, that little spark. So that's so special. <laughs> that is so special. I want to go back to when you first, when, when Bridget was first born, when you were at Bernstein, um, cause we talk a lot on the show, um, about the concept of patience and how long building something actually takes. Yes. And you took, you took Bridget with you along, uh, alongside, it was alongside you through a lot of different parts of your life, but how long ago was the, well, for my first question is how long was it just an idea before you actually started making it into something? And the second part of that question is since you've started it, how long has it taken to get you to this point? Oh, yeah. I mean, it took a while. I think that in the very, very beginning, it just came out of that. Like, it was just something in my heart, you know? And, and I, I mean, Kishia and I talk about this all the time when we're creating, um, you know, different programming for our girls. A lot of what we draw from is what could we and our peers really have benefited from in those years and going back sitting in that chair of being like a teen girl and just like how big so many different things felt at that time you know I'm um, in good ways and in bad ways but um it was definitely just this this um I, it honestly felt pretty urgent you know in my heart a need to address that um and hopefully help others. So it started as this little thing. I remember I reached out to um, my roommate at the time, a couple of my close friends and was like, what do you think about like starting something like this? And at the time, like, I mean, I never had an entrepreneurship class in college or really anyone being like, this is how you start a business. Like I didn't know anyone that had started a business and you know, done that on their own, apart from like my parents who were doctors and ran a business, but that was a completely different um, structure. So I just bounced the idea off friends. I remember like waking up one morning with the the name Bridget, because I, I had always loved watching the TED talks at the time. And I loved that like TED, like the name, even TED, like feels like it's a person you can go to, to satisfy this um, need, this intellectual curiosity, you know, learn something. So I was like, I want it to be a name. And I woke up one morning, I was like, Bridget, like, it's like a bridge, you know, connecting women at all these different stages of life. But Bridget also sounds like, you know, the cool girl next door, that's just going to be your like, you know, go-to girl. Um, and I think I even, I mean, that search for meaning thing, I, I made an acronym from it. We don't use it anymore, but I think it was like beautiful, real, intelligent, driven girls empowered together letters. <laughs> so I was just, I was in my head with it. And I was like, I had this dream 
um, you know, and had my whiteboard out and was just like thinking like, okay, what could it be? Um, but I think in the beginning, when I actually started doing things, we just had to be a little experimental. I just thought like, okay, before I ask for money, because I thought in the, like to do something good, it had to be in nonprofit, you know, um, which isn't true, but I thought, okay, before I go ask people for their money, I need to be, like figure out whether I can even help these girls, you know? So I just out of pocket, you know, started putting together these little events and, I was like, I need to just see if they'll even listen to me. Like, this is a different time. You know, teenagers have a lot, you know, their world is different from even how it was when I was a teenager. Um, so I just started experimenting and okay, this worked, this didn't. Um, okay. Wow. Actually they listened to this a lot. And then the girls would tell us, they're like, you know, can we talk more about this? And it's like, we realized this little magic shift that happens when the girls walk in and at first their guards up and they're kind of, you know, playing cool and looking at their phones and not wanting to really open up. But then you say something or you ask something, or really, I think what it was, was when we showed some of our vulnerability, then they're like, whoa, like no adult has ever been like that open and real with me. And then suddenly like they're in, you know, they're zoned in and they're listening and they're talking. And that was just so addicting to us. We're like, okay, there's something here. And, you know, we're, that's what we're going to stick to and search for. And whatever the business is, we're going to cater to that. So, I mean, right now we're a podcast, which is very different from what we were when we started. Um, but the, the mission is still the exact same. The customer is still the exact same. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but I feel oh, like absolutely thing is what we've always been, been seeking and committed to from the very beginning. Do you have programming for the girls, like for your audience members now, or is your way of communicating with them strictly the podcast? Right now it's just the podcast we're working. Um, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to offer sometime soon, um, on some like online cur curriculum, Eventually, you know, I hope we'll be able to do big in-person events again soon, but right now it's just <laughs> a lot. So we're really focusing on the podcast right now. Um, and then uh, we'll see where, where it goes from there. I mean, it's such an amazing way to reach people. Um, and I think it's brilliant, the work that you do. So thank you. I truly wish that when I was growing up, when we were young women, um, that we had a resource like that, it would have been so useful. I mean, teens are really difficult. It's such a difficult time in one's life. And I don't think I'd wanna go back and repeat it. I mean, it, it's, that, it's that challenging, especially without resources. So the gift that you're giving to, to your community is so invaluable. Thank you. I mean, I feel like we are, we're constantly like, oh, you know, we could do more, we could do more. And that's just like the thing that keeps inspiring us to keep trying things. Um, but uh, I do feel like there's something so gratifying when you find a space, when you're seeking to add value and, and you get that response. It, I mean, there's nothing more motivating for us. It's like, okay, you know, profit streams are going to change and you know we're going to run into issues and shift things and everything but that the payoff so far has just been that response and knowing that there's a need and um, we're addressing it in our own unique way how has becoming a mother shifted the way that you work the way that you do business um 
your viewpoint on life, but especially your viewpoint on your work. Cause I think that it's important to talk about the reality of working mothers and some mothers that choose not to work to raise their family. And, you know, every choice is the right choice for that person. So I'd, I'd love for you to share your, your story. I mean, motherhood has changed everything. Like I always wanted to be a mom. Um, but the experience of pregnancy of birth, like birth is such a crazy, amazing thing. Um, and, and just having this deeper understanding of this thing that ties all moms together, going through that process of birth and postpartum and just the difficulties of raising a newborn, but then also that struggle of your identity. You know, it's like, of course, like becoming a mom is the most wonderful thing in the world. Like I, I would die a hundred times over for my baby, but there is a tension between, you know, all of this happens so fast. One moment you're you, even when you're pregnant, you're just you, you know, and then this baby comes into the world and they need you for everything. You know, you have this new identity. I really felt like the moment that she was placed on my, my chest, I was reborn as someone new, um, this totally new identity as a mom, but then there's still this side that's like, I want to keep the me that was before being a mom too. And I think that they can coexist into this even better person, this better version of me, but there is tension there, you know, and I, I respect moms that work full time. I respect moms that are at home full time because both are full-time jobs, like being with the child all day. It's there. There's a reason like childcare is needed <laughs> that when you're working, like there, there needs to be someone there with them. And it's so demanding. Um, so I've kind of found my own balance, <laughs> balance. I think it's a fake thing, you know, but, um, Rhythm. We like to say rhythm. rhythm. My flow, you know, it's always changing. Cause that's the thing too, when you have a kid is that you like, they fall into patterns um, and routines that work for a little while. And then like, right when you get comfortable with the new routine, they change and they have a new need or they're crawling or walking or this and that. And you just have to constantly be adapting, which I think, um, you know, when I think about workplaces, I think that businesses are so benefited by the experience that moms bring to the table because being a mom, being a parent, really, I mean, there's incredible dads out there that are along that same journey as a partner, but learning to adapt, adapt, adapt. And when you're tired, like just keep going um, and figure it out and try new things. Cause every child's different. You know, it's like a little helpless puzzle that you're trying to figure out. Um, I think those skills are just so about like valuable to businesses. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a big thing, motherhood, but it has, um, it's, well, to, to use an economic term, I, I feel like the opportunity cost, um, the thing that you're giving up to do anything, right, is so much bigger when you're a parent, because the things that you do choose to put your time towards, you know, the trade-off is being with your kids. So I think about the time that I spend doing anything now, I, I only do what's really important to me because whatever I'm, I'm doing, that's not being with her. Like that's the trade-off that it has to be. So um, I think my level of focus has really gotten laser sharp now. That's amazing. With that being said, what does self-care look like for you? 
Oh, um, I think self-care is so, so, so important. And I think there's always time for it. Like even when, when you're, you're tired, there's little things that you can do to have those moments where you check in with yourself. For me, I, I need exercise. Like I'm a very, um, kinesthetic kinetic I don't know I'm a I'm a movement person so um I from the like when I was little I was a dancer and I think it's kind of that performative side too that I love kind of being on um so I was a dancer when I was younger um that kind of shifted into yoga when I you know got into college um now like I weight train and do all sorts of you know different things but um working out is like a really really uh helpful thing for my emotions, particularly like my mom will tell me, like, if I call her and I'm upset about something, she like asks like the two questions. She's like, are you about to start your period? Or do you need to go like move your body? Um, because if I don't have that, then I just, I don't feel like, right. You know, totally. No, I get that. Um, similarly on the self-care note, I think that a conversation that I don't necessarily hear a lot is in regards to young couples and young families and how you and your husband also prioritize each other. Mm -hmm. Um, what does that framework look like for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I look at my marriage and I, I know that I am very, very lucky in that my husband is very active dad. He, you know, has a very busy business life, but he loves being a dad. And from the very beginning, like he was up helping me with like the nighttime feedings through the night. Like he likes picking out her outfits. Like it's just the most adorable, endearing thing I've ever seen him being a dad. Um, but even with that, like we love being parents together, but we know you need to take care of your marriage as a thing separate from just having the context of being parents together, you know? Um, so we've tried to, you know, prioritize like sprinkling in a date night here and there, or even just, you know, connecting when we do have time, we're sitting down and having a conversation over dinner or um, I'm like a physical affection kind of person. So it's like taking a moment for a hug, you know, and just <laughs> whether if you're in the kitchen with your coffee or whatever it is, I think that um, it takes work and attention to um, maintain your relationship um, as parents, but also as just two people. That's awesome. Well, I can't believe it, but we're almost out of time. Um, what is what is next for Asha? What is next for Bridget? What is next yeah. for you? Yeah, so I'm loving the real estate work that I'm doing right now. It is so exciting. Um, I think that the decisions around buying homes and investment properties for people are so personal, but they're also some of the most stressful um, decisions people have to make uh, in life. So I love the idea of coming in and helping people in that moment of high stress, anxiety, and um, significance. So I'm, I'm loving working in luxury real estate in Southern California. If you need some help, give me a call. Um, but for Bridget, we're continuing with the podcast. Um, we're always open to suggestions. So if you go to um, meet Bridget. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, we're there. So search Meet Bridget. Um, leave us reviews, recommendations, people we should interview. Um, so we're, we're there on the podcast. Um, and then I'm still modeling a little bit here and there, which has been fun and empowering because, you know, there are roles for 
people of all ages, <laughs> you know, like there are jobs for everybody. I think that people have this idea that, um, you know, to be a model, you have to be within this age bracket and exact these sizes and stuff. But, um, you know, I was in that bracket for a while, but what I'm realizing now is that it's like, it's, it's about attitude and of course, you know, taking care of yourself, but, um, but yeah, so doing a little bit of that here and there and, you know, just staying open to the next opportunities in my life and hopefully just seeing Bridget blossom into more of a resource for our teen girls and for all of our women. That is so amazing. Well, I adore you. And I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule to share your story and all of your wisdom. And um, you're just such an inspiration, just the biggest beam of light. It is such, it is truly such an honor to know you. Well, I feel the exact same way. Thank you so much for all you're doing and all the ways that you're making women feel beautiful with your brand. I admire you and I'm just so happy to have had this conversation. Thank you. And however me, however I can help and however like we can help support you in any way, like please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I'm always here. Always here. <laughs> well, my heart is so full after that combo. Huge thank you to Asha for coming on the show. Another thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and to our producers at Island City Media Group. If you want to listen to this show again, you can find all of our episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Remember to leave a review so we can continue bringing you the content and guests that you absolutely love, just like Asha. Lastly, you can find me offline on Instagram at Marin Costello and Marin Costello Radio. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We will see you next week. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. On the bar and I can see you now Three shots in the dark Man down, load the clip Talking all I hear is click, clack, clack I need the light, the light, the light Soldiers from the block They rocked it downtown Running from the man as they search the compound Heat rising, lights flashing all around I need the light, the light, the light Right up on the man inside it Stand up to the man united Wake up the man, they by the blind eh? I need the light, the light, the light huh. Stand strong, the mass is firing to bring it down Their terror raising, that's bad, don't make a sound I'm sweating, breathing heavy, just stay calm I need the light, the light, the light Now I have me a son and as he gets older Now I for him to have to look over his shoulder Stand up to the man united Wake up the man they by the blind I need the light, the light, the light Show me the light Show me the way Shall let me live Fight another day Show me the light Show me the way I understand Why I'm here today Showdown is over now you know who won Quick draw, release, cut the break, cut down My life change, being touched by the sun And finally I have come around Lord knows that we must tonight Only way to make it all through the night Is with the light, the light, the light Yes, with the light, the light, the light 
to the man united Wake up the man they by the blind day I need the light, the light, the light Run up on the man inside it Stand up to the man united Wake up the man they by the blind day I need the light, the light, the light 